Welcome back to the OPEX podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Enda King. Enda is the head of performance at the Sports Surgery Clinic in Dublin, Ireland. On this episode, Enda and I discuss the factors that play into individualizing assessment and rehabilitation protocols from many sports injuries, such as ACLs and groin injuries. Guys, this is a great conversation with Enda, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. And appreciate you making time. How are you doing? I'm very well, Robbie. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, absolutely. It's so hard to believe. We've known each other for years, and this is the first time we've done a podcast. I think we, we tried to organize one before, but you know what I mean, man? You're so bleeding busy changing the world. No, no, no. I'm bluffing away. You're the man that's uh, <laughs> at the sharp edge of everything. Come here. For the listeners, uh, just give us a bit of your background. And I have a question for you, too, on that. Why Australia for the Masters? That intrigued me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good entry point. So um, I'm a physiotherapist by trade. Uh, I'm currently head of performance in the sports surgery clinic, which uh, I suppose overarches a couple of roles. I look after our residential athletes uh, who come for blocks of intensive rehab from a week to six or seven weeks, uh, mostly around lower limb personally. Um, we have other colleagues who look after upper limb as well. Um, I'm re- involved in our ACL and groin research, which we'll chat about a little bit later on. Mm. Um, and I look after the clinical consistency uh, and training of our staff. So we've about 30 physiotherapists, uh, 10 strength and conditioning coaches, 10 biomechanists, uh, eight or nine sports docs. And so when you have an organization that size uh, and you're rehabbing an ACL or you're rehabbing an ankle sprain, there needs to be a degree of consistency. That, that about, you know, especially regardless of your level of expertise or your exposure to that kind of area. And so we try and put education programs together that uh, uh, creates some harmony with what we do, but then sprinkles it with new stuff to try and challenge our way of doing things. So um, it's, it's, it's a nice mix of, 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 of treatment and, and, and stimulation off the back of that. So uh, I did my, my undergrad in Trinity College and the re- I did my master's in Curtin University in Perth. And the main reason, I, I, as you well know, there's not a whole pile of money in physiotherapy. So um, I just wanted to be good at it. Um, and those that I had come across that had studied there um, seemed to stand out a lot mm. uh, from those that hadn't. Um, and so we had a, a couple of colleagues who'd been over and highly recommended it. And it was one of the best years I ever had. The, the learning was incredible. Uh, the weather was slightly better than it is here mm. and uh, especially when you're busy or working and you have a couple of kids it definitely was a, a tremendously carefree uh, time compared to, compared to now but it was a fantastic uh, fantastic uh, learning experience um, I went on then I suppose as my even though there was a, a master's in, in manual therapy my, my clinical practice worked more towards rehabilitation and high-end rehab um, we've been tapping up with the likes of yourself and Martin Kennedy and the guys from an S&C point of view and uh, did a bit of, of, of extra learning with Exos, UKSEA, stuff like that as well to, 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 to expand my, my overall strength and conditioning knowledge. Um, and I've just recently completed my uh, PhD in biomechanics after ACL reconstruction uh, through the University of Roehampton in London. Um, I suppose uh, as time has gone on, we've been trying to get a better idea of in rehabilitation you have where your pain is coming from patellar tendon hip groin whatever um, and so 
if you have a chronic overuse injury, is the injured site or where the pain is coming from the problem or the way that I'm moving the problem. Mm. Uh, and so if we don't measure how we move or measure it as best we can, how can we begin to explore what we think is causing the problem? And how do we know if our programs are remotely effective at changing the movement patterns we feel uh, are, are driving that issue? And so much of the work we're doing here in Santry is trying to um, individualize that assessment independent of, what, of the, what the diagnosis is. In that if you have 10 high hamstring tendinopathies in football players, you can't assume that they all have developed those symptoms for the exact same reason, yeah. exact same strength deficit, power deficit, running mechanics, training load, et cetera. And so if we want to get them all better, we need to individualize what they're doing relative to them. And then secondly is if we want to be most efficient in our programming and coaching, we need to see how they move and prescribe around that rather than, well, here's my hamstring program or here's my ACL program, or, here's my groin program. Mm-hmm. How can I give you a program for your diagnosis when I've never actually stand back and watch you move? and see where your individual strengths and weaknesses are. And that's where our, uh, our and my interest in biomechanics comes, is especially in relation to groin pain. There has been this, I suppose, misunderstanding or confusion around chronic pain in the groin. And people call it different things. Uh, often they will have athletes will have pain in several different locations. So am I unlucky to have three or four different diagnoses, or is it just my right side of groin is overloaded? Um, and that's what I need to, to, to work on targeting. And um, again, especially in hamstring rehab and groin rehab, much of the, the, the rehabilitation is focused on making the sore muscle stronger. So I have, I have groin pain. I might have a doctor with groin pain. I'm going to do a load of adductor work. But that's working off the assumption that a lack of adductor strength was the driver of why I developed my symptoms in the first place. Um, or a lack of hamstring strength was the reason that I pulled my hamstring. And so while strength is, is obviously incredibly important, both for, for tissue tolerance, but also how you're able to generate force relative to your environment, um, it's how you coordinate that movement and how you can react relative to the environment that you're in that is as important. And then obviously how well you're conditioned and how your load has been progressively changing over time. So um, while I would have a, a, a focus, obviously from a diagnosis point of view, you, you're keen to understand is something for rehab or is it not? So, for example, if you have someone with hip and groin pain and it's a stress factor of the neck of femur, it's, it's, it's not good for business to be rehabbing that for six or eight weeks and realizing that things are not heading the right direction. Um, but if you have someone with, with overload of the pubic bone, plus or minus abdominal overload, plus or minus adductor overload, that's, a, that's, that's required rehabilitation. So, right, okay, we know you're for rehab. Now, how do you move as an individual and how is that related back then to the symptoms that you're presenting with? And so where biomechanics, especially with, with, with ACL as well, and that, you know, for a surgery where there are tens of thousands of the procedure done on an annual basis, there's very, very little to say what a fully rehabilitated ACL should look like. Mm. Um, and so many of the measures have often gone back to fundamental movements such as isokinetic strength, which obviously is a key, key marker as well, uh, counter movement jumps or hop for distances. Uh, but very little looking at the eccentric component. I mean, you, you, you injure your ACL landing, you injure it absorbing force, and very often it's during change of direction as well. So if all I'm doing is jumping and landing, how have I any clue about my robustness or what patterns I'm demonstrating when I go back into change direction or agility drills? So mm-hmm. it's trying to quantify where possible, knowing that in reality, sport is chaotic in nature. So you can never truly re- reproduce chaos. 
but what are the low lying low lying pieces of, of, of fruit that we can knock out of the park make sure that you're giving yourself a solid base and then build your sport specificity on top of that yeah so what, what really came to my mind there as as you were speaking was like that kind of saying in medicine to like treat the patient not the disease but i suppose in in your circumstances not so much a disease it's it's the injury you know so treat treat the treat the athlete not the injury as you said you could have 10 10 guys with a tendinopathy the same tendinopathy but it could be 10 completely different different mechanisms leading to why they all have the same tendinopathy so the you know to, to hear you say that you're really trying to nail down narrow down really this kind of more individualized approach for each sort of individual that's presenting to you guys at the clinic i mean it, it sounds like it's uh it, it sounds daunting Sounds probably a little bit frustrating at times, but it's very exciting too. Well, it's, it's the most interesting athletes and players are the ones that are not getting better because they're the ones that challenge your paradigm. So you, you have a way of, of managing a groin or you have a way of managing a, a hamstring tear or a stress, an overload, tendinopathy in the Achilles. And if diagnostically an MRI, two athletes look the same and one gets better and one doesn't, is that because the diagnosis was wrong or is it because my program hasn't addressed what that individual athlete needed? And so what you commonly find, especially in groin, is I did six or eight weeks rehab. I felt no better. I failed rehab and therefore I have to go for surgery over a prolonged period of rest. Well, the question isn't, you know, did you fail rehab? The question is, did rehab fail you? And so where the biomechanics has been really powerful is that it's, constantly challenging our paradigm as to what we think are the drivers of why people become overloaded in certain areas in particular groin anterior knee acl etc uh, it really challenges our rehab programs because if you get reassessed in eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks if we haven't made the changes that we expected to make well what are we doing um, and as we all know the athletes and the patients are always to blame but at some stage we have to take a small amount of responsibility for it ourselves and say i either selected the wrong exercises I either more commonly coached them in, inaccurately or, or, or incorrectly, or I didn't periodize it to get a, a progressive change over time. And so it, it's an unbelievably positive feedback loop in that loop in that I have what I think I want to change based on, on the initial data that I get. I write slash coach a program to affect that change over a block period. I retest. Did I do what I set out to do? Uh, if I didn't or not better, what am I missing? And so you're constantly getting that feedback as to is what I'm doing making the difference or did I just do stuff for eight weeks? And you can probably, you know, extrapolate that into any part of fitness or any part of, of athleticism where, you know, I trained hard for eight weeks. What does that mean? You know, what ultimately were your goals? How did you choose either from a conditioning point of view or from a strength and power point of view or from a, a skill development point of view, what your priorities were across that period? And then when you reflect back on it, have you any method of seeing, did you achieve what you set out to achieve? And so for, 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 for the staff that we work with here, it, it, it's a constant uh, revision of our tests to see what can we learn on an ongoing basis. Uh, and number two is trying to enhance or expand our, uh, our strength, our, our motor control, our motor learning skill set that we can try and get adaptations and change more efficiently all the time. And so it, in one way it's challenging, but another way it's, it's incredibly enriching to, to live in that space because you're, you're never comfortable uh, and you're always looking for, I suppose by the nature of where we work, we tend to get the, the more challenging cases anyway. Um, but you're looking for the outliers because the outliers are the ones that will shift the dial in relation to how, how you approach a particular injury. S sounds like 
a very humbling process at the same time. It is. It is in that it's it's very easy blame anatomy. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a shitty tendon, or it's an angry looking pubic bone, or or whatever. And and anatomy is important. It's incredibly important. Don't get me wrong, but there's a very poor relationship in across the literature between anatomy or pathology and pain. Yeah. Very very poor relationship between the two. And so the, the, the point always comes back to us is when you look at that diagnosis and it starts off, is this suitable for rehab and, and has someone else got better with this? If they have, well, why is this athlete not getting back to where they need to get? Because if anatomically they look the same as player B who is back all singing, all dancing, I'm missing something. And it, it's, it's far easier than say that, well, oh, you know, maybe that, that, was, that was an angry tendon, maybe we need to have that stripped or maybe that's a, you know, there is a, is a hernia there. We need to have that repaired, despite the fact there's no herniation, because my 12-week program hasn't, hasn't affected change. Um, and it's easy to say that from this side of, of where we are now, because you have to get a lot of things wrong to get to that point in your learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always work out like that, but the longer you go into it, the more you see that when someone's not getting better with a specific diagnosis, you're missing something. And so where our practice here is really trying to expand this if we can have as wide an initial assessment to look at all the different components of strength, rate of force development, plyometrics, running mechanics, change direction mechanics, conditioning VO2 max, if we can put that on the paper before we start, then we can start to say, well, okay, there's a clear picture of where we are and where we need to go versus, well, I'll just start some motor control work first or I'll start strength work for my Achilles. But actually, they've been doing strength work for 14 weeks their calf is strong. That's not where the main, the main problem is or residual problem is here. So again, writing bespoke programs specific to the athlete in front of you, not the diagnosis in front of you is, is, and as I said, it should be the same in any part of fitness is really trying to be as specific, accurate and efficient at what you do rather than wasting their time and yours. Yeah. So I suppose really what you're alluding to there is to, to really have a, a very high quality assessment in place to really start to individualize what a particular individual needs in terms of their rehab. Yeah. And have an idea of what the end looks like. Mm. So how can I write a program when I don't know where I want to end up and how can, and how can I write a program where I don't know where I am currently? And that's by a mile for me, the biggest pitfall that people fall into. Exactly. That there's a thousand programs you could write. The exercise actually are not her relevance. The fun part of our job is trying to find new ways of doing things. But if I don't know where I am, how do I know what I need? And if I don't know where I'm going, an ACL would be a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so many timeline-based programs of six months, nine months, 12 months. And obviously, there's a biological healing that has to occur in the graft. And that is sacrosanct. That, that takes time. There's no quick way around that. Mm. But by the time that happens, you know, one of the things we're saying we're doing workshops or here with our own staff is the day before surgery, can you write down what you'd like that athlete to look like at discharge? That's great. And if you can't write it down beforehand, how are you going to make it up as you go along? You're going to overcook it sometimes. They're going to get sore. They're going to want to push on. So can you, the day before surgery, write down, look it, this is when you start to squat. This is when you start to land. This is when you start to hop. This is when you start to run. This is when you start to change direction. This is when you start training. And when I test you at the end to go back, these are the one, two, seven, 52 tests I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And here's what good looks like. Yeah. 
And if I can do that, then that's going to keep me and you, the athletes, accountable all the way through. But also the goalposts aren't going to start moving just because it's week 16 or 22, whatever that means. Just going back to what you've alluded there already in terms of, you know, two athletes presenting with very similar injuries and just for the convenience of this question, they're both doing the same protocol and one lad gets great results while the other the other individual just doesn't seem to be, you know, making any improvements. Do you feel that maybe there's an over sort of reliance or an over sort of there's too much focus maybe purely on just the biomechanical um, model to, to rehab an individual. And like, you know, the other concepts of, well, maybe this guy's also getting better because he's also looking after his sleep and his circadian rhythms are good and he drinks his water and his nutrition's dialed in for tissue healing and repair and he's more mindful and his stress management is better. And when I say to him, listen, don't be on your ACL all day at work. Try and try and keep off it, you know, so that, you know, all that type of stuff. Whereas the other guy likes a real stressful job. He's got three kids, you know, he's not getting the repetitions in that he needs. Like his sleep's a disaster. He could be a shift worker. And I, and I say that in, 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 in the mindset of Oakham's razor that listen, if their injury is a, is like, you know, an ACL or a grind, well, the biomechanical model is the first place to go to because as Oakham's razor says, like, you know, the most logical answer is probably the most correct one to go after in terms of low-hanging fruit product that the, you know the best the most logical thing is it is a biomechanical issue that's mainly driving their injury but these other surrounding factors that contribute to the healing like sometimes we just don't think about them or put enough onus on them is that something as you developed as a clinician or practitioner that you've sort of maybe had more appreciation for yeah i think it's it's how do you make as much profit as possible uh, so you're going to the effort of, of going to the gym session of doing all this training and that, you know, how can you reap the rewards for the effort you're putting in? Um, and you're completely right. And there's probably two sides to that, Robbie. Number one is all the things that you said in that if I'm going to, if I want, let's say, hypertrophy after an ACL, you lose your quad magia, I need to nutritionally support my training goals. And if I don't, my training, the, the effectiveness of my training is going to be limited. I need to uh, support my recovery and the amount of sleep and the way I recover in between sessions. And stress is, is a pollutant in that and work is a pollutant in that and kids and all that are a pollutant in that. And then how do we say, well, look, at you, if you have to work 50 hours a week, maybe one less gym session with a view to you being sufficiently recovered towards what you're doing is the Very way good. forward here. So if we're individualizing where we need to go from A to B, we need you to tell me, look, in reality, this is what you can do this week. And it may not be what Raheem Sterling can do this week, but that's not a problem. This is just where we are in life. This is how we're going to make as much profit as possible based on the circumstance that you have. But you have to realize that because Raheem Sterling has the fantastic medical support and, 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 and that sports science support that he has and is doing nothing else, your recovery and his recovery can't be the same if you're telling me you need to work 55 hours a week. Mm. Um, and so... And that, that, that ability to, to, again, if I'm put, what do I need to do? What are the pieces of the jigsaw that, that, that make up that, that goal? And so strength, a strength is as purely a simple one. Um, what, what, how often do I have to train and what intensity? Uh, what exercise is lovely? Uh, how fresh and recovered do I need to be to, in the gym to make as much profit as possible? How well is my nutritional support need to support on day and, and in between day gym sessions to optimize my the profit I make for the gym session that I've mm. that I've just paid for, 
Um, and the second part of that is also the, you know, the, the athlete's beliefs in that what they believe the problem is. And, and so, so much of our initial assessment is because, again, by the time they come to see us, they may have had a couple of opinions, mm-hmm. may have been struggling uh, to go along, is that the number one goal I have for any residential athlete who comes in on day one, I understand where my pain is coming from and I understand why I'm sore. And they're two separate things. Because if I understand where my pain is coming from, I will know is it something that's for rehab or not for rehab, okay? If it is for rehab, let's put that all the way to one side now for a second. Now, why am I getting sore there? And my rehab is going to be based around why I'm getting sore, not where I'm sore. And so the biomechanical test and whatever else is very much an alignment of, of, of goals and that you want to get back playing pain-free as quickly as possible. Do you see this A, B, C, D, and E test? Okay, can you see where you are? And here's what good looks like, whatever the hell good is. Um, but here, here's a line in the sand by which we think if we have reached that line, we'll have an appropriate level of, of wiggle room to perform or have enough capacity to get by. Does it make sense to you that if we go from here to here, based on where you are today, that this is driving why you're symptomatic at the minute? Yes, it makes sense. Brilliant. Now, do you see these two exercises? They're going to look after test one. Do you see these three exercises? They're going to look at. So everything that we're doing is tied directly back to what we're trying to achieve. Because part of the program may be, yeah, it might be the wrong program. Okay, absolutely. Specifically that individual athlete. Second of all, it might be the right program and they're not doing it properly. Mm. Uh, and thirdly is it might be the right program and they just don't buy into it. They don't buy into it because it doesn't make sense. I've done more glute work. I've done glute work and the cows come home. You know, I've been doing strengthening for, for 18 weeks. How can you tell me I'm not, strength, I'm not strong enough? Um, so being able to come back again and, and get your, I suppose, making sure your beliefs and their beliefs are aligned and that your goals and their goals are aligned. And there may need to be a realignment on both sides of the, of the fence in terms of what's most important. But again, if we start at the beginning, like our ACL, if we write down and say, look, the idea here is to get back to play with no pain, not do it again and be a better athlete. Are you happy with those goals? There's no athlete in the world is going to say they're not happy with those goals or their coach either. Now, for you to achieve that, based on our research and my experience, these, this is what you're going to need to achieve in these tests to do that, along with some conditioning tests from our uh, uh, sports science and S&C crew, and along with some football skills related thing from our football team, football uh, support team coaches. This is the battery that we have for you. And if you pass these testings, so it immediately gives context. And when, you, when you're miles away from that endpoint, it's very easy to have that discussion. And again, all your results and your, and your, 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 your criteria are going to be very sensible. There's no player that's going to say, yeah, I'm happy enough with a 40% strength deficit. That, that just won't happen. But they might say it when the first game of the season is in a week's time and they're saying, okay, I need to get back to play or I'm not going to get my new contract. So it's, it's about flagging those points as early as possible, getting the player buy-in, writing and coaching the program to affect that change and then putting the support structures uh, for, you know, whether that's social, physical, mental, in place to optimize all the other pieces of the jigsaw. So I, I completely agree with you. Writing the program is but a piece. What comes to my mind are, are, are two questions and two concepts too, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. Um, and the, two, the, two, the two words that come to mind is one, sustainability, and the other is trust. So this is the sustainability part is, and actually it was from a podcast I, I heard you previously done, um, 
with the Australian guy, David. What's his what's his surname? Do you remember? David Pope. Yeah. yeah. David Pope. Pope, is it? Pope, yeah. Um, yeah. Very, very great, great interview. I just re-listened to that today. And obviously, you, I just re-listened to the interview you did with Rob Pacey. But with your interview with David, um, you spoke about like when you're providing, you know, a rehabilitation plan for an individual, you have to make it realistic to where they are with regards to where they are in their life right now. So again, you know, a full-time professional athlete who's a bachelor versus an amateur athlete who has, you know, a job outside of sport and like kids and a wife, you know, two very different lifestyles with very different core values. And what it reminded me of was Daniel Davey, who I've had on this podcast, I love Daniel, great guy. I know you know him too. And um, he had a great interview on Danny Lennon's podcast. And I always loved the way he phrased this. He'd say, you know, when I was a young nutritionist and I'd be telling all these guys, you know, about this and that with nutrition and these meals, and they wouldn't do it. And I'd be wondering why, like, and he'd realize because it just, you know, it, it wasn't where they were at their lives. They weren't ready for that commitment to food and the shopping and the cooking that was needed. So he said this line, and I loved it. And he says, to tell guys that it's okay to say this to me, I will not do that. You know, I won't put that, like, I won't do that with food. So in terms of, of, of you as a, as a clinician and as a practitioner with athletes, you know, speak to us about the importance of meeting, um, you know, athletes when they're rehabbing, where they're at in terms of, is this realistic? Like, is it realistic for you to get this amount of rehab done? Is it, is it realistic for you to get X, Y, and Z done with, I'm, with what I'm trying to facilitate you with here with your rehab? So that's the sustainability part. And then after you give your thoughts now, I really want to ask you about building trust because you, you spoke about buying there. So building trust with the, with the athletes that you work with. But if you want to touch on the sustainability part, first of all, because I, I love how you touched on that with the podcast that they were poked to. It's, and it's interesting. It, it, can go, it can go both ways in that you, you get the athlete, as you said, who's at a time in their lives when there are um, conflicting demands uh, and, and often an elite athlete, uh, the arrival of kids, especially young kids, and how that influences um, the sleep in the house, the, the stress in the house, which is all very normal, but it completely, uh, you know, and they're probably getting on a little bit in age when those recovery modalities are even more important. You, you, you're getting them at a crossroads. Um, that can be quite a challenge. And so being able to tell them that, especially elite as they always want to do more. It's interesting. I had two guys this week that kind of fit around where you're talking about. One was a guy, again, just had a, a, a new kid in the family, their, their second kid. And so like everything else, the, the whole responsibility falls on the mom with the first one. But when the second one comes, the dad has to start chipping in a little bit more. So his sleep had gone upside down. His energy levels were gone uh, quite a bit. And he found he just, his, his rehab was plateauing. And to turn around and say to them, look, you know, do a little bit less. You know, whatever you do, just do it well. We know where we're going to go. Our timelines can slide a little bit. But, you know, if you go in and do a poor gym session and your knee is sore afterwards, what's the point? Like, you've completely wasted exactly what we're looking for. The goal is to get from A to Z. The, the, the end tests are still the same. Uh, the priority is your wife and kids, and the rest will all come along. Um, but also, you know, training tired is going to be of little or no value to you if not take value out. Mm. And the second one was a, a younger athlete um, who had sat down and set himself very, you know, aggressive uh, goals 
to achieve during his ACL rehab. Um, brilliant athlete already, but one of them was to use that opportunity to increase his upper body mass. Uh, he felt it was always an area he wanted to, to do some additional work in. And that had been going well for the last, we're only about uh, 10 weeks in now. I've been going well for the last three weeks. Um, and he'd been doing this extra program where he was doing four per body sessions a week on top of his, his ACL rehab. And he just came in today and he could barely lift his head. And going back to what you were saying beforehand about aligning goals and whatever else, it, it's very important to not um, uh, burst a player's balloon or not, or not to, it, it's about channeling their enthusiasm rather than dampening their enthusiasm. Um, and, and you'll always find that not the need to get it wrong before they get it right. You can only steer to a certain point because if you, going back to that trusting, if you say, we're all on a journey and we, I'm, you know, you talk about young Daniel Davy or, or, or young Robbie Burke, we're all learning as we go. Exactly. Um, and this is their first big injury, maybe their first groin, their first ACL, their first high hamstring, and you've done tens, hundreds, whatever, thousands. Um, it's all brand new to them. And so you, there, there is a little bit, especially the longer term injury at the ACL, of letting them find their way while trying not to let them drive too far off the reservation. Um, and so it, it's my, my thing to them always, especially to those athletes in terms of sustainability, is what's the number one thing this week stopping me getting back playing football? Mm. And so for, for an athlete, let's say an ACL at 10 weeks, my muscle mass is going to be the number one thing. There are loads of other things in terms of my power, my running mechanics, my change direction. But today, this is the number one thing. That's the first thing that goes in, the, goes in your diary this week. And my, you know, maintaining my aerobic conditioning and my movement combat, that, that can all float around it. But if I only have time to do one thing this week, what is the number one thing? So for your athlete who is uh, juggling kids and juggling work and, and whatever else, always bring it back to look at if you did nothing except achieve one thing this week that's going to assist us getting where we want to go what is it right that's the only thing that needs to go in and everything else after that's cream on top and okay it'd be great to be able to do it all but what's the lowest lying piece of fruit we were doing it uh, and the second then flipping that on its head for the player that you know if you really ramp up your upper body strength is that the number one thing that's stopping us getting back, back playing football this week mm-hmm. no so again can you recalibrate and I'm not saying you've got to let them tip over the edge a little bit before that, before they, they come to that realisation, but every athlete will, you know, they talk about that squiggly line of recovery, it's never a straight line, yeah. but it's also, it's never a straight line, line in terms of them understanding long-term injury, and especially a younger athlete, he will never, or she will never have had a long-term injury beforehand, so how she kills time, how she can apply herself appropriately, um, the rest recovery, and mental recovery that's required along with that, the lack of the loss of maybe social interaction that comes with that as well. Where are you replacing those things? You know, you're going from training hard two, three times a week, the endorphin rush, the, 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 the good buzz you get off that. And that drops off the face of earth after injury and after surgery and takes a while to build that back up again. So where are we getting that recovery time? Where are we getting that enjoyment in our life until we build back up to those levels again? So I think in terms of sustainability, the number one, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing is, is most important and then i said building that trust is understanding what their goals are if they're being you know they're setting a lot of lofty achievements for themselves you know they talk about empathetic listening but you know 
let them talk themselves out and eventually they'll come around to the right answer anyway. It's just providing a platform for them to, you know, so they'll ask you, you know, if I do some extra bike work or if I do some extra this or if I was going about climb Crow Patrick at the weekend, what do you think? Well, you're six weeks post-research or post, uh, post-surgery, what do you think? Yeah, it's probably not a great idea. No, it probably isn't, but that's okay. That's something we can look forward to doing maybe in another month's time or so um, rather than cutting them off at the pass. And, and with that. So I think when they, when they see that your goals match their goals, and that you're listening to what they're doing or what they're, what they're trying to get across and you're steering rather than directing, I think, um, for sustainability and trust that that's, and they are, you know, we're all busy, maybe tired in the evening. You know, it's very hard to take that little bit of space back a little bit and just say, you know, where are we going here? Are we both on the same page? It's a fantastic answer. And you actually reminded me of, um, friend of mine who actually did his ACL and um it's funny too when you when you said she there and I was like I kept saying he and lads I was like so if there was any female listeners listen female athletes who are, are absolutely um involved in our conversation here too but you reminded me of something very important that came to my mind and I, again I'd love to hear your thoughts on this um you kind of alluded to it there about you know when an athlete gets an injury and then there's that social isolation. I love the way you phrase that because, again, it can be very, very dangerous if the only identity somebody has for themselves is as an athlete. And if that's taken away through an injury, like psychologically, if they don't have the mental resiliency built up to deal with that, it can be devastating. And the story I have is I had a friend, very good hurler, very high level hurler, hurled for Dublin underage and, you know, good sort of hurler in our club and did his cruciate lovely fella and he facebook messaged me and i probably saw it about six months later because i'm never on facebook but i eventually got around to it and he just his question was like you know have you any pointers like you know and i think he was kind of asking more so you know you know like around actual physical rehab for his knee and he probably was a little bit surprised at my response and my response is like listen the first thing you got to realize is that you're not a hurler you're a human that plays hurling and you have so many other great things going on in your life right now. You've got college and your PhD and your friends and your family and we'll all get you through the rehab. And I was trying to make sure that he didn't just purely self-identify as being a hurler. Like, and he wrote back a message saying, wow, he says, that really helped so much. So like, cause you've seen so many more cases than I have, like over your evolving career and how important has it been to you to, to appreciate that sort of, psychological impact that that injury can have on on that because i think for anyone that has never really had a devastating injury or a very very serious injury they can't really identify now i i haven't like i've never and i'm someone who really self-identifies with the ability to be able to move my body and do physical things you know and so just basically to have that empathy for injury and to take take that you know really appreciate that as the practitioner who's guiding someone's rehab how big is that for you yeah, it's, 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 it's trying to, trying to give them purpose or, 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 or refine their purpose um, in between of which, as you rightly say, rehab is but one component of it. Um, and you'll find, you know, certain players are, um, have certain personalities uh, that, that leave them amenable to certain roles. For example, some were very happy to say, right, my season is potentially over now. Can I get involved in some of the video analysis? Can I get involved in some of the backroom 
support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm a net contributor to what's going on, uh, and nothing beats playing, and we all know that, especially when we're retired and decrepit and, and, and everything else that goes with it. Um, but how could or you know what? I just don't have the headspace for that now. I am going to uh, throw myself into work a little bit more, or I'm going to throw myself into my family a little bit more, or I'm finally going to get my handicap and golf down to single digits. It doesn't really matter, but it's about just taking the, th and even if they don't do it, it's just taking the time to stand back and ask the question. And then when you stand back and ask the question, you say, actually, I'm very happy throwing myself all into this. I'm, you know, but I realize those are, it's, it's the lack of really, it's not taking the time to realize there are other, as you say, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a human player in hurling. Um, it's taking the time to see back. You know, sport is but a piece of the jigsaw, mm -hmm. and it will be gone. It, it goes for us all. It, it'll be gone sooner or later. So this is an opportunity to appreciate how bloody enjoyable it is to, to have the gift of being able to be athletic and be able to play sport. Um, it's an opportunity to come back bigger and stronger, and maybe it's an opportunity to make a, a deposit uh, either within the team environment or my home environment or my work environment that will leave me in better stead for again. Um, the, the second, and that, so that's for, for those that are, that are losing their identity uh, with longer term injuries. The other one then are, are those that are kind of, uh, especially with a chronic injury that isn't coming around for them, mm. the kind of hopelessness that, you know, can someone just fix me? You know, that the problem is out there. And so trying to, again, going back to begin with the, with the end in mind, you know, the, the whole idea here is to be able to say, here's where you're sore, here's where you're, why you're sore. Here are the tests that if we pass these tests, we should be all singing, all dancing. And so putting that, uh, giving them the, the self-efficacy and give, putting the onus of response, not responsibility onto them, but giving the power back to them that you're going to fix this. It's not going to go away. Um, I think both sides of that are important, that they feel empowered in relation to the injury, but also then that they realize that that is only but a part of my life and I'm not going to let it dominate me because it's unhealthy for any of us to focus only on one thing, no matter what that one thing is. And focusing only on injury is the same as focusing on that. It's not the way forward for a, a balanced or, or a content life or the way to get you back in fastest either. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because like the, the, the older that I get, like, and the, the sort of more breadth in the information that I read, like the more you can kind of see common principles from other fields. And like, you know, when you read someone like a Ray Dalio, like who's, in a, you know, like one of the top investors in the world, like the Bridgewater and whatnot, and he talks about his, his, his rainbow strategy, you know? So, and if you look at that, it's like, his whole thing is like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, have contingency plans. And like, it's kind of like concurrent periodization, you know, it's like Alvar Meal, always keep a thread of every quality in your program. And so like, you could, you could relate that to life. Then if you put all your focus into a relationship with a partner or a job or a sporting career, or like just one particular area that, can be very quickly taken away from you you know it can lead somebody into a very dark place so it's it is very crucial as you said to be able to step back you know and realize that these things are just pieces of the of the jigsaw i i know that we're up here on time i've got i'm not messing with i have so much more i, I could i could talk to you about i really would love to talk to you about like um I and mean, we'll get you back on definitely because i want to ask you about like you know sort of language and and another thing i'd love you to speak about is humility with 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 um athletes and patients and what i mean by that is i don't know if you know maybe you went through the suit but you know when when i was younger i was so much more certain you know like i was like this is this is your problem and you do this you'll be fine whereas like i find as i got older and i got again more humility and i and my my language was so much different i would say this is what i think 
um, you know, and, and I feel this could help. And I, like I'd always be like, I don't have all the answers. I, and I'd always say things like, I won't get you better. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I'll facilitate you. We'll do, we'll, we're a team. We're going to do this together. Kind of more that sort of language than this is your problem. Just do this. You'll be fine. You know, back when you were younger, you thought you knew everything. Like, yeah, as I say, when you're younger, you were just dangerous. Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, this concept of getting more humble as we get older and how we, how we word things and phrase things to, to, to the individuals that we work with. But a final thing, uh, two things, uh, if you can touch on real quick, is that um, actually no, I'll leave this other, on a, we'll leave this other topic for another conversation. I want you to speak about leadership because definitely your role now is probably taking on such a leadership aspect within, within the the the, sur- the sports surgery clinic. Um, finally, though, I was going to ask, what was I going to ask you there, and there was something. Oh yeah, sorry, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so much a question. It was actually I just want to say something just from talking to you there now over the last hour because we, we, we spoke before we actually start recording as well. Um, I have to say, I get a great sense of fulfilling, f- fulfillment for me. And that, like, you know, you seem, you seem to play a very, very good place right now and that your work is very meaningful to you. And, um, you know, you seem so laser focused. And, you know, how, how has your role evolved there over the last while? And, and you know, currently where you are now, you, you do seem very present. And, and it's funny, I, I would have said happy, but from reading a lot of Jordan Peterson lately, like he's kind of changed my mind on this, like, you know, the meaning of life is happiness. His whole thing is, you know, his whole thing is the meaning of life is to, is to find meaning. And you can actually get people who, who might say that they're not happy, that they're suffering, but that they find meaning in it. And he's like, that's probably more important. So what I'm trying to say here to you is just from speaking to you now, because we haven't interacted in, in a long time, um, you seem to be very content and seem to have a lot, a lot of meaning. And, and you seem to have found a good purpose currently where you're at. So it's more so a statement than a question, but uh, if there's anything you want to add to that, I'd love to hear no, your thoughts. No, I, I think um, hmm, it's, a, it's a fair observation. I think it, it's, you know, you can get very lucky in, in that, you know, you can have your best laid plans and they can be ripped into pieces or things can fall in your lap that, you know, that you were very fortunate to, 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 to come across. Um, I'm very lucky to work where I work. Um, I'm very lucky with the opportunities that affords in terms of biomechanic and lasers research, the type of athletes we're able to see. I'm even more lucky with the people I work with in that you have a group of like-minded individuals who are driven to be, to, not even to be better, because that's not the right, to deliver better care and to better understand what the problem is, whether that's shoulder or knee or groin or whatever else. Um, and when you're, especially, I suppose, with the type of injury you see, I suppose much of my injury would have playing career would have been plagued with groin pain. And going back to as you said, you know, uh, linking in with the player is that to be able to try and stop or minimise other younger players falling into the pit holes that you fell into. Or I've never had an ACL. I don't plan on on having one to try and get better at rehab and ACLs. But um, if you can take someone who has what is really you know, a shite injury for all intents and purposes mm. and you can give them a little bit of purpose a little bit of direction and hopefully get that back to a positive outcome that, that's nice work to be doing Robbie like yeah. you know that's as you know it isn't going to make you a multimillionaire that's for sure but it uh, it's rewarding work you know people are so grateful especially when they're coming from a place where they're, they're, they're struggling to get by um, and also with the research work we're doing you're constantly learning and you know it's, it's phenomenally stimulating from that point of view absolute chaos at times um, but it's it's a nice counterbalance in that you know there's a lot of young kids at home. Uh, it's chaos. So you go from one to the other. So chaos is not a problem once it's 
it's balanced on, on, on both sides. So, uh, no, very, very lucky. Man, there's a lot of multimillionaires out there who have no meaning or purpose in their life. So, you know, it, to me, if, if, you can, if you can attain fulfillment as much as often throughout the journey of life, you're, you're not doing too bad, you know. It's, it's funny because the last few podcasts I've had the last few days, you know, I spoke to Pat Davidson Saturday and I spoke to Lee Taff yesterday and myself and Lee were offline. Like, we, we always get into some life conversations and kind of, again, speaking about, like, life and, you know, the meaning of life and, sort again, certain work for, like, the likes of Peterson and other people were reading. I, I've finished Mark Manson's book there and all that. And, you know, just, just speaking about that again, that, you know, like, what's the meaning of life? And kind of in Manson's book, he says the meaning is, is to, the meaning of life is to is to make it meaningful. You know, it's, it's for you to make it meaningful. Like, I would have said, you know, like, that every single human being wants the same thing and that's just to find happiness, you know, ultimate happiness, to find our heaven on earth. And, and how we do that then as individuals is where we, is where we differentiate ourselves. You know, so for a musician, it's, great creating music for a chef it's a master dish and he brings that into the world for a poet it's a poem and he shares that with the world and for you myself and yourself it's coaching and rehabilitating individuals and help them to reach their peak performance potential as an athlete which to them will fulfill them and in return fulfills us you know so it's funny though like i've, I've kind of moved that as i said to you my, my not that i've changed that answer that i i don't believe I still do believe that every human being wants happiness. I suppose it's more semantics. I suppose with Peterson, he's maybe more thinking, is it happiness or is it more purpose and meaning that we're seeking all the time? You know, so again, is the meaning of life just to give it meaning? Kind of like that Viktor Frankl thing of like, you know, Viktor Frankl spoke about the people who survived the Holocaust. You know, they were the people that had a higher calling. He'd often, yeah. he'd often ask the people in the camps, you know, um, you know, he, he, well, sorry, he, he said that the people in the camps who, who didn't survive or were more or less likely to survive, you know, they'd say, ah, Victor, I expect nothing in life anymore. And then he would flip that on its head and say, well, what if life expects something from you? You know, he, he just completely flipped it on its head. So again, it's about seeking that meaning. And uh, the reason why that came to my mind, and I, I'll let you go now, because I know when you've got people and appointments, you got to get going, you're being very kind. But the reason why that came to my mind, that you, you seem to be in such a great mental space right now, is like it's 5 p.m. on a Tuesday in the middle of winter in Ireland and like you are lit up like you are lit up you were just like on fire in this conversation I'm like this man has a purpose so it's just it's really refreshing to be honest and I really do appreciate you making the time and I'd love would so love to get you back on again whenever you can make the time because I said I could have a ton of other topics I'd really love to get your wisdom on you know at this stage you've really uh illuminated to some great topics today so I appreciate it not at all, Robbie. Absolute pleasure. I'd be delighted to come back anytime. All right. And for the listeners, you were spoiled rotten people. All this fantastic information with uh, these great guests. And just real quick, if anyone did want to reach out to you, is there any particular social medias or websites? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Enda underscore King. And my website is Enda-King.com. Oh, you have a personal website. I like it. Personal, yes. The way we're gone. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. For everyone listening, take care. Peace.